We're going to do a psalm for you tonight. It's a Thanksgiving psalm. At least that's what most conclude about it. Psalm 138, if you'd open your Bibles there, please. Psalm 138. And I want to read the psalm before we tackle it tonight. I want you to notice, by the way, when we're reading the psalm, the personal pronouns that David uses. It is a psalm of David. And he uses personal pronouns all the way through this, so you're getting a real personal look at his own heart here. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple. And, and I'm going to supply another I, I give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar." Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you for the people who've come out tonight on this Thanksgiving Eve to partake of this text. We certainly want to give you our thanks and praise for the great God you are for caring for us. We pray that you bless our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought since tomorrow is Thanksgiving, it might be a good thing to do to look at this Thanksgiving psalm. Most consider this to be an individual psalm that David wrote with Thanksgiving in mind. And the Hebrew text simply begins, of David, And we don't know exactly when he wrote it, but obviously he's writing it at a time where he's doing a lot of reflection about himself and his relationship with the Lord. And as you know, having gone through a lot of our book studies, David did face some tough things in life. I mean, his life was filled with battles and his life was filled with threats and wars and obstacles and setbacks. He had sins. He had his own failures. And there were times when David was hated and hounded for doing the will of God. He was pursued and persecuted, chased up mountains, down in valleys, had to hide out in caves, even had to flee to a foreign country for survival. And there were times when he was certainly threatened and he felt all alone. But through all of that, he never lost his desire to thank God and praise God. And you know, I am convinced that it just thrills the heart of God every now and then when some of his people just get alone with the Lord and they say, thank you, thank you, Lord. I think that's something that God loves to hear from his people. In fact, when you read the first two verses, we see David says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord. The word thanks is yada, and it's a word that actually has to do with a kind of a thankful praise. So this is kind of a thankfulness and praise that he's offering to the Lord. He says, I'm going to bow down before the Lord. I'm going to give thanks to the name of God. And when he does this, it certainly would indicate this is more than just some quiet meditation. He's basically saying, I'm going to do this. It includes public profession. So what we conclude is that 
One who's going to see God do great things will be one who thanks God and praises God at all times and in all situations. Now, the problem with most of us when we find ourselves in difficulty is, quite frankly, we stop thanking God. And oftentimes, we can stop praising God and worshiping God. In fact, when people get surrounded by problems, some of the times they tend to just basically hide out from God. What we find David doing in a world filled with all kinds of troubles and problems is we find David giving thanks to the Lord. And that's how the psalm opens in verse 1. David says, I'm going to do this with all my heart. I will give you thanks with all my heart. Now there's a statement right there. Because to be able to thank and praise God with all your heart, that means there's no sin closets in the heart because you can't praise God with all your heart and thank God with all your heart if you have sin clauses. There's also no faith doubts in the heart. So he's trusting completely in the Lord. And there's also no priority blocks in the heart. David was focused on God in this. And he also adds, I will sing praises to you before the gods. Now, the Septuagint reads angels. It's angelos, angelone, actually, in the Septuagint Greek text. It reads before the angels. The Syriac version has before the kings. The Hebrew text has before the gods. What David is basically saying here is, I'm going to praise the God of the Bible before all authorities. Whether it would be angels, I'm going to praise God before the angels. I'm going to thank God. I'm going to thank God before all religions. And it could be all false religions. And I'm going to praise God and thank God before all leaders of the world, the rulers, the politicians, and the judges. David, by saying, I'm going to sing praises to you before them, he's basically saying, I'm not going to do this privately. People are going to know publicly where I stand. They're going to understand that I have a relationship with God and I'm going to thank God and praise God publicly so it's not just going to be some private thing. He also adds in verse 2, I'm going to bow down toward your holy temple. Literally, he uses a word there, I'm going to get prostrate down on the ground. He would not only kneel down, but he would also at times bow down on his face before the Lord. And there were many times in David's life when he couldn't be near Jerusalem because he was being chased and hunted. So as a result of that, he would always say, I have in my mind the idea that I'm going to worship. So I literally, in my own private moments, I actually bow down and I worship God and I basically face wherever I'm at that temple area. Now, what's interesting is he does use the noun temple, your holy temple. And what's interesting about that is the temple was not standing. What was standing in Jerusalem was a tent, which was a tabernacle, and in that tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, and that was basically standing on Mount Zion. So what I would conclude by this is David is thinking through the fact that this is ultimately going to be the place where God is going to establish worship, and this is going to be the place that I'm going to worship, and when I worship God, I actually have that place in mind. There's certainly a principle that we can learn from this, and that is David is going to worship God on God's terms, according to God's place of worship. And most people want to worship God on their own terms. And that is not going to be a praise that God will accept, and I don't think it's a thanksgiving that God accepts. So David says, I thank God, I bow down, and I'm going to give thanks to your name. Now the name 
of God. He has three basic proper nouns that are used for God in the Old Testament. You have Jehovah, which is the covenant sovereign I am God of Israel. You have Adonai, which is the sovereign master and Lord over all things and controller of all things. That's Adonai. And then you have Elohim, which is the plural noun for God, which would include the Trinity as the sovereign God and the creator of all things. David said, I am going to give thanks to your name. And when you think about giving thanks to the name of something, you're thinking about giving thanks to everything that represents the name of that person. For example, if we throw out a name of someone tonight, something will go through your mind. If I throw out the name Bill Gates, something's going to go through your mind on that. If I throw out the name Adolf Hitler, something's going to go through your mind. The person, who the person is, goes through your mind. David said, when I worship God, I'm actually thinking through all of the concepts that I understand about God. This is not shallow thanksgiving here. I mean, we're talking here about a praise and thanksgiving that is as a high level. Now, what he does now, after he says, this is what I'm going to do, is he gives 14 reasons why he's going to thank the Lord. And the first one is because of his loving kindness. He says in verse 2, give thanks to your name for your loving kindness. The Hebrew word is hesed, and that particular word is used again at the end of the psalm. It's a word that carries with it the idea that God is merciful, and he reaches out to pitiable people who are in hopeless and helpless situations. That's the flavor and color of that word, according to Mr. Gersinius in his lexicon. So this word would emphasize the fact that God is a God who is desirous of and zealous of reaching out to people who are in pitiable states, hopeless and helpless conditions, and allowing them the privilege of experiencing his mercy and grace. And I want to tell you that is something that God's people can always thank God for every day of their life. One of the things we do on Thanksgiving is we go around and make everybody say something they're thankful for before we eat. We've done it for years. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll ask everybody to tell us something they're thankful for. And if you can't think of anything, you can always throw this one, the mercy of God. The sovereign, holy, majestic God has taken a personal interest in every one of us. He took a personal interest in us and reached out to us when we were in our pitiable condition, at least I was, hopeless and helpless, and he reached into our lives and brought him to himself, and that is something that we can always thank God for, and David said, that's what I'm thanking God for, his loving kindness. Secondly, he thanked God because of his truth. He says in verse 2, and your truth. God is a God of truth. His word is truth. God is a God who can't lie. We live in a world of liars. We have to double check things and facts because this world that we're living in is very deceitful. But God is a God who's straightforward and truthful. He doesn't lie. His word is truth, and that's something for which you can always praise the Lord. Every one of those promises that you read in the word of God is the truth of God, and you can praise God for that, which brings us to the third reason, because of the word, because of God's word. He says, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. Now you just think about that statement right there. Above everything else that God has made and done, his word in the mind of God is at the greatest level of all of it. 
And I want you to see what's stated here. In the mind of God, the word of God is magnified at the same level as all of the name and attributes of God. You're looking here at the honor that God gives to his own word. God has given us his word, and his word is that which reveals and magnifies all things about God. That's important to see. And what really is significant here is obviously God himself highly esteems and reveres his own word. Now in this church, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. We believe that the Bible's inspired to the very word, that's verbal inspiration. We believe that the Bible's all equally inspired, that's plenary inspiration. That's what that means. And in the context of studying things about manuscripts and translations, and we do that here, we get into analyzing manuscript evidence and we get into word things and get into translation issues, we still walk away with the reality, this is the word of God. It's the inspired word of God. I don't care how many things we analyze, we actually end up concluding, this is the word of God. And real praise worship that is viewed as praise worship in God's sight is a thankfulness and praise worship that takes the word of God seriously. And people who are right with God will magnify the word of God. That's what they want when they go to church. And when they go to church, they don't want to hear a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. People that are after a worthy praise of the Lord, they want to be taught the scriptures. Thank God for his word. It's something David did. He thanked God for the word of God. The fourth reason he thanks God is because God answers prayer. Verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. David makes this very personal. I'm not sure what day he's talking about. I mean, there were multiple times we saw in David's life when he's talking to God, and there were multiple times when he cried out to the Lord and God answered him, but that's an amazing thought. An amazing thought that we could actually call out to God in times of turmoil and trouble and actually have God answer our prayers. Boy, that's something to thank him for. The sovereign creator and God of the universe taking a personal interest in us so that we can actually ask him things and expect that he'll answer them. That's a wonderful thing to thank the Lord for. A fifth reason he thanked God is God gives strength. Now look carefully about this. You made me bold with strength in my soul. When David found himself in difficulties, he talked to the Lord. God answered his prayer. What David discovered is, I gained a strength and I gained a boldness. And I want you to notice where the strength was given and the boldness was given. It was in the soul. So what we conclude from this is that Soul strength and boldness comes in part by talking to the Lord. Now what's interesting, if you track the life of David, is there were situations where David would talk to the Lord, but God didn't immediately remove the problem. What he apparently did do to David is he put within David a strength in his soul. And so what David said is, I am thanking God for the fact that when I found myself in difficult situations, I could talk to the Lord, and what God did is he gave me great coping strength in my soul. Oh, I just wish the people of God could learn this lesson. You're not going to find coping strength by this world. You're not going to find coping strength from other people, from your circumstances. You get this from God. 
and the coping strength that enables one to be strong in the Lord in facing things and even having a boldness in facing things is a strength that comes from God. And that's something for which we can thank the Lord. A sixth reason he thanked the Lord is because God will humble all political leaders of the world. Verse 4, and don't overlook this, all the kings of the earth will, and I take that as a prophetic statement of fact, all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they've heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. First of all, what you read there about all the political leaders of the world doing this would be like a dream come true. Can you imagine that all of the political leaders of the world would get together and say, now we're going to open this meeting by giving thanks to God. And we're going to open this meeting by singing praises to the Lord. Because David predicts there will come a time when all leaders of the world are going to do just exactly that. And the text says, all will, not all might or may. In other words, it is a prediction being made in the word of God, which is truth. It is a prediction that all political leaders will one day be forced to honor and worship the God of the Bible. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess the truth about God. And this will fully be fulfilled during the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennium when all of the leaders of the world are going to be forced to admit who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Now, when political leaders get together today, I guarantee you they don't do anything like mentioned in those verses. The political leaders of the world today get together to discuss all kinds of things. They discuss problems. And the political leaders of the world have meetings to discuss hostilities, and there's jealousies, and there's rivalries. They get together to discuss economic stuff. They make economic deals. I mean, that's what the political leaders of the world today get together to do. Just imagine a time when all the leaders of the world are actually gathering together, realizing we're going to have to praise God. We're going to have to worship God. David said, I thank God that there's coming a day when that is going to happen. And that is exactly what they will do. Now, there's a seventh reason why he thanks God, because God chose the lowly. Verse 6 says, for though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. I'm sure David had his own life in view when he mentioned that, because if you remember when a selection was being made for the next king of Israel to determine who the next king of Israel would be, and Samuel had gone to make the selection to Jesse, David wasn't even invited to the meeting. I mean, all the other brothers of David, boy, I mean, Jesse had them all there. He was going to parade those boys in front of Samuel and thought that one of those boys would certainly be the next king of Israel. David was just out in the side of a hill with sheep. And so David never forgot that. He thought he wasn't thinking of this. He's not looking for limelight. David was not out there thinking, well, I'm looking to be the next king of Israel. But what he came to realize is God chooses lowly, humble people. God does great things with lowly, contrite people, which is such a foreign concept to this world because this world promotes just the opposite kind of person. God promotes the lowly. And it's just amazing that as majestic as God is, he says he's close to the one who's lowly and humble. The poor, the obscure, they attract God. 
So when you think you're nothing, you're just the kind of person that attracts God. And David said, I thank God. I thank God that he's close to the lowly. But he also said, I thank God he's far away from the haughty. He says in verse 6, but the haughty he knows from afar. A person who wants to be a proud person is a fool. Because they're not going to have, they'll never have a dynamic relationship with the Lord. God will not permit it. I mean, his word is pretty clear on that. God is far removed from the arrogant, proud, dominant person. I mean, those Pharisees and scribes in the days of the Lord Jesus were puffed up bags of wind. I mean, these guys really could play the religious game, and they looked the part. And I want you to carefully notice what is said here. God knows who they are. He sees them. He knows them. And he says, I'll just never be close to them. I'll never do much of anything with them. So here's the deal. You can purpose to live your life humbly, contritely before the Lord, and God will draw close to you and use you, or you can be proud and you can have that pride to you and God will just keep you at arm's length. In fact, that's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, God will always keep the proud at arm's length in this life and then he'll shut them up in hell in the next life. Which brings us to the ninth reason for David's thanksgiving praise is because God revives his people in times of trouble. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. David had experienced this, and so have we. I mean, there have been times in our lives when we've walked through times of trouble, and isn't it true God's revived us? We go to the Lord, and we talk to the Lord, and God revives us again in the midst of troubles and trials and setbacks and failures, and we find ourselves going to the Lord and distresses, and God brings revival to us. I mean, David is writing this psalm, and when he sinned against God, he reached the lowest point of his life. I mean, when you read the Psalms that he wrote concerning when he went through that whole ugly episode of his life where he violated almost all of the Ten Commandments in one episode, he said, I was just drying up. I was dead. And God revived him of that. Revived him. So what David is basically saying here is, you know what? I thank God. I praise God that he revives his people in times of trouble. If you find yourself in times of trouble, run to your God. Go talk to your God. He stands ready to revive his people. A tenth reason why David was thankful is because God will protect and defend his people from enemies. Verse 7, you will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. David didn't even know who all of his enemies were and where they were. I mean, when he wrote that 23rd Psalm, he said, I know when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. I mean, he literally had to take a walk through valleys with mountains on the side that had shadows in them, and he didn't know if enemies were hiding behind those trees. So when he's walking through the shadowy areas, he's thinking to myself, man, this is scary stuff I'm in. I'm walking through these valleys of the shadow of death, and yet he learned that God would protect his people. God would defend his people. God knew David's enemies. He knew where they were. He knows our enemies. He knows where we are. And he watches over his people. He monitors his people. He takes a personal interest in his people. In fact, the text says, he stretches out his hand against the wrath of my enemies. And that is a real personal interest that God's taking in individuals. 
He's basically saying God stretches out his hand to help his people when they need his help. That's something for which we can thank the Lord. He protects and defends his people. The 11th reason we can thank the Lord is because he will save his people. He says in verse 7, and your right hand will save me. And I want you to notice again, he's using that personal pronoun, me. And it is God who saves. We do not save ourselves. Notice the theology of this. God saves us. We don't save ourselves. Your right hand will save me. Now, what is interesting, when you go to the book of Hebrews, as we know, that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what the writer of Hebrews tells us is the one who saves us is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ not only saves us from sin and saves us from condemnation, but the Lord Jesus Christ also walks with us all the way through life and delivers his people from an abundance of things, and that's something for which we can thank God. There's a twelfth reason why David thanked God, because God will accomplish everything concerning each individual. He said, verse 8, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. (laughs) That's interesting. What a statement. David said, I can give thanks to God and praise to God because I know I have a relationship with him and he's going to accomplish the specific things that he has specifically for me to accomplish. And by the way, notice his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in the Lord. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. In other words, David believed that if he were to walk with a heart that was a thankful heart, and he was thankful with all of his heart before the Lord, and he was in this relationship with God that totally trusted in the Lord, he believed that God would do everything that he set out to do for him and through him with his life. He would accomplish his plan for David's life, and he'll do the same for you. And you know how I know that? Because of what Paul wrote in Philippians. Paul said in Philippians that he was confident that the God who had begun a good work in you is able to perfect it and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God stands ready to fulfill the perfect will for every person's life in accomplishing everything he intends for us to accomplish if, if we love him and serve him with all of our hearts. There's the condition. If we can thank God with all of our hearts, God will accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish through every single one of us. The 13th reason why he praised the Lord is because the mercy of God is everlasting for his people. He says in verse 8, your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. He uses the same word, said again, but this time he adds the fact it's eternal. And we know from studying other passages that the mercies of God are new every day. So every day you get up, you have a brand new day to walk into a wonderful relationship with God based on his mercy in which he cares for his people. He reaches out to his hurting people who are pitiable and miserable. And then finally, because God will never forsake the works of his hands. Look at the end of verse 8. Do not forsake the works of your hands. There's eternal security. There's eternal security. Fourteen reasons why you can thank God because of your relationship with the Lord. Now, it becomes obvious that 
a key to surviving life is talking to God. You understand that simple principle? A key to surviving life is talking to God. Not talking to everybody else. Not talking to friends and neighbors. A key is talking to God. And a key part of talking to God is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So tomorrow at some point, or perhaps tonight before you go to bed, just take a minute Thank God for some of the things that he's done for you, because he's done a whole lot for all of us. Hope you have a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. We have a wonderful worship day planned for you on Sunday. Powerful, interesting text on Sunday morning in Romans, and then a powerful text in Zephaniah Sunday night. So we'll look forward to seeing you. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Good night. The Lord bless you.